welcome to the show. Where did the idea for Klaus come from and, and what were you doing? Sure. My personal history with Support Driven goes back to the first event in 2016 in San Francisco. I was serving as global head of customer support at Pipedrive, where yeah. experiencing the problem that Klaus solves today, which is how do you scale feedback and quality in, in a rapidly growing customer support team? And there were no tools at the time. That's actually where support driven also came into play because I was at the, the Portland event in 2017 uh, on stage yes, yes, talking yes. about something else, but I spared one slide at the end to pitch this little idea <laughs> we had. And when I walked off stage, I, I was greeted by Valentina from Automatic who became our first customer. So at that time, had it launched yet or was it still an idea at that time? When you were on. We were hoping that maybe something like that would happen, that maybe we would get some kind of lead. So we had built the prototype and we were ready for it when I mentioned it on stage. I remember we actually got uh, a few signups as I was speaking, which was really cool. We had a pro working prototype, poorly <laughs> working prototype, and that's where it all started. After you started talking to potential customers who became customers at the time you were still working at Pipedrive. When and how did you know to make that transition? Yeah, because me and my co-founder, Kair, uh, who I've been doing stuff together with for the past 21 years, including middle school, we had pretty clear milestones that we wanted to hit, like having a first paying customer that isn't a friend of ours. That was the main criteria. And obviously to have any customer at all, you need to have some kind of a prototype or like an MVP or the beginnings of a product. Those were the things that, that we decided we need to have in order to make a decision on whether we will do this full-time or not. If I recall correctly, you left first in terms of you left to like work on this full-time first. We did it in stages and there were uh, a few reasons. First of all, because in the very, very early beginning, we were interchangeable because we were both non-technical and uh, there were other reasons as well. So, and obviously cost was also a factor. After that, that first talk, you got a couple of leads to turn to customers. How did you get your next round of customers. The next stage actually was uh, pretty nerve wracking because we realized that what we thought was an MVP was actually a prototype, meaning that we would need to discard it. So we basically started from scratch and that didn't help our runway at all. That was a pretty intense period. How did you know that you had to let go of that first version and start from scratch, right? There was basically an intervention. The technical <laughs> folks sat <laughs> okay. me down and said, look, everything that you've done or we've done so far, forget about that. We need to start from zero. In hindsight, of course, it was the right decision, but we ended up having a lot less uh, room to maneuver than would have right. been comfortable. It sounds like a really difficult decision. Was it hard to bring your customers on board with the plan? No, because from the customer's perspective, first of all, we only had two or three. <laughs> so in that sense, it wasn't a big deal, but also it didn't really mean anything for them because we were able to do like a seamless transition. It was mm. more that we had to build products from mm -hmm. zero with half the time that we thought we had. So you needed to essentially replace the foundation that you had started with. Yep. Something that could kind of exactly. support your vision. That uh, would scale the, the details were that in, initially we only built something that would integrate with Zendesk. 
didn't really think about the next steps at all because we were always optimizing for what was in front of us. And I think it was the right mindset, but because of it, we weren't thinking about what will come after it. And I don't think you really should because if you're thinking about the day after tomorrow in that situation, then you're maybe optimizing for things that will be relevant if you're not, if you won't survive Today, I think it's especially for technical people, they want to do everything properly, plan for every eventuality, but that can be deadly in a situation like that where you don't have a lot of time. So you have a handful of customers, you're rebuilding the product. How do you get that next round of customers? In our case, the community was definitely a, a source of leads for us at some point as well, because we did attend the events and I don't remember exactly which customer came from where, but it was a combination of these pretty manual efforts. So going to events, talking to people, just one-on-one being listed on the marketplace, on the different marketplaces of our integration partners that generated some interest. And obviously if you're that small, then you have the luxury of giving every single lead all the attention right. world, which is what we did. But that's what you need to do at the beginning. <laughs> like startup truism, you need to do things that don't scale in the beginning in order to get to a place where you can afford to do things that scale. One of the things I wanted to explore was the relationship Klaus has had with the support-driven mm-hmm. community over time. A few years ago, I started noticing that people from the community were working for Klaus. And they didn't join the community because they worked at Klaus. They started announcing, hey, I'm going to join Martin. That's actually something that I haven't thought about too much. Two people from the top of my head that were active support-driven members before joining Klaus. I think there's several more that were on support-driven, mm-hmm. but not necessarily super active. At this point, I don't think there's anybody in the company that doesn't know what support-driven is, because <laughs> not least because mm-hmm. it's on our website. We, we mentioned right. that still in our about page that we wouldn't really be around without support-driven. It's a fact. As you're growing, getting to the next stage, what is your perspective on community now? It's an interesting question because it has certainly changed and I find myself Mm -hmm. being a little bit more cautious because I do recognize that now that Klaus has actually become more viable and maybe better funded than better known. And if I go posting about something Klaus related, then the vast majority will not know that this is a company that kind of has its origins here. It might be perceived as like just self-promotion. So I've become a little bit cautious (laughs) when it comes to that. When I personally also say something slack, then I'm I'm like now thinking more about like, how might this Mm -hmm. be perceived? Because we're not like this cute fledgling startup anymore, at least are not perceived as one. There have been people, external parties Mm -hmm. asking me about what about like sales and doing Mm -hmm. sales on support driven. And (laughs) then my answer is like, no, forget about that. That's not something you should ever consider. And like the closest thing that you can do is just be helpful and be valuable in the community. As a side product, people will know you will probably know what you do and what the company does. And that'll be the benefit in that sense. It has to be that you provide value. And then basically, thanks to being a decent human being, a decent company, a (laughs) member of community, good things will happen to you. No one wants to get sold to in the community. That's not what they're there for. Especially this community. As a former like head of support, you've been in those shoes. Why do you think people don't want to be sold to? I think support-driven is unique 
in that it has been kept pretty safe despite growing so quickly or growing so big and i think people are pretty protective of this space that despite being right. nine thousand people i can be sure that there's nobody like trying to sell me stuff which is not something that you would assume from almost any other community of that size mm. at least in my personal experience if you're a part of something that big it's unlikely that there will have been such a degree of discipline when it comes to keeping that away from mm. the content and what goes on in the community a lot of it comes from this sense of ownership of this is our space for us to talk to each other i think you're exactly right where would you show up and you're helping people or you're just contributing people notice and i think when you have that reputation so much of what happens in the community is learned from other people in the community that's essentially how we've been able to try to keep this core of what the community is i think that's an excellent point that it probably comes down to the fact that the core is so strong that the folks that make up the early beginnings of support driven that are still probably the most active on support driven they are very well aligned everybody knows what is expected what is okay what isn't okay and if you have a critical mass of people acting in a certain way then others will follow what tips would you have for somebody who let's say work at a company that sells to support since I would say you would be my go-to example of if you want to learn how to be a part of the community and sell to the community. Yeah, it's again just about giving as well as receiving, right? Because you shouldn't expect anybody to just do you any favors if you're mm -hmm. not even at least trying to be helpful to the right. community at large. But if we're talking about a specific situation where somebody's, let's say, thinking of developing a product and customer support space, then I would say that being open and honest about, hey, like I'm thinking about this uh, product idea. Does anybody want to talk to me? Just talk to okay. members right. of the community. And that's how it goes. That's how you get to clarity on whether you should pursue this idea or not or like whether you should pursue the idea or alternatively understand that okay there's really nothing here i would think that this will be generally be well received especially if you're not somebody that showed up today asking for favors but that you have been an active community member and i think that's the key thing is if, if people know you they're more likely to say yes when you ask for something or if you're asking yeah, for feedback exactly. or to recommend you to other people and i think that's something that my impression from seeing this over the over time was one of the things that always impressed me was when the conversations would come up about oh what quality told you that your customers would chime in and say okay we use uh, Klaus we really like it or we looked at Klaus we really like it but it, we're either not ready for it yet or it just doesn't it doesn't quite fit our needs but that kind of response is, is just something that you can't buy yeah hundred percent and that has been huge for us actually because it's people that are talking about their actual experiences and that is a hundred times more valuable than us saying oh look at us that's maybe another tip for anybody in that situation be honest about your intentions and even if it is clear mm -hmm. that you're eventually maybe you want to build a product that you might want to sell to those people mm -hmm. i think it's especially in the very very early stages so it's okay like as long as you don't you're not like trying to dress it up as something else right. if, if you add all of it together then the the role of support driven in general has been quite huge in how the company got started and also how the product developed 
what the quality of the community is as well. Many of these are top global brands, some of the best CX in the world. So that has really helped us along. But I think it has also put us in a different trajectory compared to having some local companies as customers, mm -hmm. maybe as opposed to automatic as the first customer who was world-class in so many ways. I think that's the ideal situation that I would love to see happen more in the communities where, you know, we have people who have lots of uh, community members who have lots of ideas and opinions on how things should be done, working with people who can create those things, having a place where everybody's doing, but also with our community members being part of creating something that they really wish existed that can really enable them to absolutely and i think it's not just klaus we're a small company but you have much much bigger global players also a part of the community they know support driven obviously i don't know exactly whether direct feedback from support driven has influenced their products but at least in theory there is that connection and i think it's really cool to see that this has become this platform for companies like tool makers as well as customers of the those tools that are on the cutting edge that has become yeah. a platform for the, those parties to interact, which is pretty unique. What's next for class? What are your thoughts on the next year or two? Or where would you like it to go? I think we're going to be uh, a lot broader because the conversation reviews, as we like to call it, or customer support QA is, is only one way of solving this problem of how do you improve your CX. There are other parts to that equation and we will probably tackle it from a few different mm -hmm. new angles. Mm -hmm. Many of them will be related to data and finding patterns mm -hmm. in the data and especially one thing that we've understood now is that the value that we provide mm -hmm. is is bigger for bigger companies because they just have there's so much more chaos and mm -hmm. so much less insight into what is actually happening within the volume of mm. customers so we've launched a whole line of data science enabled features for example we have this thing now called complexity filtering which looks at your customer support volume and looks for the outliers right. and serves those tickets for you so it essentially oh, gotcha. finds the needle in the haystack then there's like sentiment analysis and now mm -hmm. the, the new one just launched uh, it's called conversation insight that enables you to look at the proportions that make up your support volume. You can see on a sunburst mm -hmm. style chart, what are the different layers? What is the oh. proportion of this language, which we detect automatically? Yeah. How much of that is poor set and just slice and dice oh, the higher volume? which is right. something that I don't think any support tool actually enables you right. to do. Using data visualizations to help understand the, the amount of data that the company's working with. It, it comes down to this thing that I think mm -hmm. really led us to build the entire yeah. product, which is this anxiety that support managers mm -hmm. feel when they are faced with the fact that balls are being dropped, but set maybe is super high. I believe that they're using jobs to be done. Interviews, it's a bit of work to do the interviews and then make sense of the interviews. Luckily, I'm not the one doing it. The good news is that Mr. Co-Founder has been working with that framework for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. I think it was inspired by this trainer at Intercom or Mac. Yeah. I think the, the simple answer is that this helps us gain clarity mm -hmm. on what we should be doing and what is important. It has yielded some very specific results in how we do things and how we make decisions. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, yeah. I'm not the best person to talk about it because I'm yeah. more like the happy consumer of those benefits. <laughs> how would you describe what is Klaus's brand? 
Let's say if somebody came up and asked somebody else, what is the response that you hope that person would give? I think the reason why we have gone for this quirky, funny, and colorful thing is that I think the job number one for any kind of brand is to be distinctive and memorable. Mm-hmm. Right. And the business cat market. In a way, it's low-hanging fruit because if right. everybody's being boring and corporate, then, right. then have a cat for a logo. Mm-hmm. To actually answer the question, yeah. I think we would definitely like for people to think that we're maybe not that dry as your mm-hmm. average B2B sauce brand might be. But as for the actual product, we would like people to feel it's one where the UI and UX comes first, maybe, unlike many other companies right. out there, other products out there. We've talked about this in the past as well, but it's very easy to start go down this rabbit hole of just piling features on features and like the UX actually being terrible because of it. If I could suggest a brand for you to consider would be that this is tooling built essentially for support people by support people. You have that distinction relative to a lot of the other people in the space who may have had an idea. I've seen so many people approach it from, I want to do something with AI, I guess I'll like try to solve problems in the customer yes. support space. Very common. I know it for a fact. There are <laughs> companies like that out there. So our the footer of our website says built with a heart by actual mm-hmm. support folks. We do try to communicate that in various ways as well. For example, do you know about the quality consultations that we provide? That's I going well. So I don't know the stats, but there are regular consultations ongoing. What we provide is a free service essentially to anybody that is interested where we've listed the people with customer support yeah. related credentials, myself included, where you can book a free consultation with the number of our team members to just ask for advice on something. So this ties into an idea that we're starting to develop. It's still in the early stages, but it just makes sense for us to develop and, and pursue, which is matching people in the community. So creating like a marketplace in the community so that if you have a specific question, that you have the mechanism to easily time with somebody who has the experience you're looking for. I think that's a cool idea because if it is, there is somebody that wants to get feedback on an Mm -hmm. idea, that could be a pretty good format for first giving something and then potentially getting something in return. That's the goal is to build on what's already happening in the community where people are asking questions. I think what's great about it is that it all connects back. Thinking Mm -hmm. about the format of it, if you have like random Mm -hmm. questions, maybe somebody can answer this or it's a one-off thing, but have you considered creating some kind of a venue for people to mm-hmm. get training almost on right a certain out. topic. Yeah. Obvious example is remote work. You have so many people that yep. are probably like the foremost thinkers and practitioners of remote work in the world. Definitely. I think of that as being, if we think of kind of the community as it is this kind of mentorship marketplace being the first floor, then the training would be the second floor. I think there's the potential there, but I think this can be that catalyst. I appreciate your your time and yeah, let's let's chat again before another year or two.